All right, welcome back to Eat Lunch and Board Game. I'm your host, Adam Collins. Today we'll be talking about King of Tokyo. Richard Garfield is a name you might know. If you don't, let me tell you who he is. He is the creator of a game-changing, pun intended, first collectible card game, little thing called Magic the Gathering. He has made a handful of other games, but my favorite by far is King of Tokyo. It debuted in 2011 and is published by Yellow Games here in the United States. It ranks number 52 at the time of this recording in the family category on Board Game Geek with an overall ranking of 266 with a 7.6 overall. That's with over 51,000 ratings, mine included. King of Tokyo has won a handful of awards. I'm going to touch on a couple of these. It won the Golden Geek Award through Board Game Geek for Best Children's Game, Best Family Board Game, Best Party Game, along with being nominated for Best Board Game Artwork and Presentation and Best Thematic Board Game. Setup is very simple. Each player picks one of these six monsters. I have the original base game, so I have Alienoid, Cyber Bunny, Gigazar, Kraken, Mecha Dragon, and The King. The second edition came out a few years ago, which replaced Cyber Bunny and Kraken with Cyber Kitty and Space Penguin. Once everybody has their monster board, they place it in their monster stand, get the scoreboard for their associated monster, setting the health to 10 and the score to 0. Tokyo's placed in between everybody, shuffle the action power-up cards, deal out the top 3, decide who's the first player, give them the dice, and let the chaos begin. The game rules are quite clear, so clear in fact that my 3-year-old son understood them and started playing immediately. On your turn, you roll 6 dice. Keep what you want, and re-roll up to two additional times. Score the final result, decide what to buy or not buy on the action cards, then pass the dice to the next player. If you are in Tokyo, your attacks hit anyone not in Tokyo. If you're not in Tokyo, then your attacks only hit the people that are in Tokyo. The game ends when one of two things occur. Only one monster remains alive, or one person has earned 20 points. You can explain everything I just said while setting the game up. There's virtually no time required to explain the base game. I just explained it to a whole new batch of co-workers in less than five minutes, and for all of them, English was not their primary language. As far as the gameplay goes, I can't knock it. It's simple, it's fast, and it's fun. Everyone is invested in everyone else's turn. The only downside to the game is once you're eliminated, you're out. You can still watch and cheer and jeer as the survivors continue to fight for dominance in Tokyo, but you're no longer a factor in the game or its outcome. The gameplay uses three phases. Phase 1, roll the dice. And then re-roll and re-roll again, setting aside the dice as you see fit. Phase 2, score the dice. Three or more identical numbers score that amount of points, plus one additional point for each additional number. So for four threes, you would score four points. Three for the three threes, and then one additional for the one additional three. Any hearts rolled heal your monster, unless you're in Tokyo. Collect any energy based on the amount of lightning bolts showing. And finally, attack. If you're in Tokyo, your claws hit everyone not in Tokyo. If you're not in Tokyo, your claws hit everyone that's in Tokyo. The monster in Tokyo can then yield Tokyo to the attacker, and the attacker must go in to Tokyo. This can be strategic. Phase 3 is where you can purchase any new action cards. These come in two varieties, Keep and Discard. Keep has ongoing effects, like plus one armor, 
Discard has an immediate effect like add three points. You will pass the dice to the next player that is still alive. King of Tokyo, the base game, has enough replayability built into it. There are a number of action cards and you likely will not see all of them each game. Once you add in the expansions and the monster packs, the replayability just simply goes through the roof. There are more monsters, new dice, new ways to win, new actions, etc. I will cover all the ones that are currently out later in this episode. There are a few different components. All the cardboard components, the player boards, monsters, tokens, and Tokyo itself are made of a nice thick chipboard. The cards are nice, and I have yet to sleeve mine. There are plastic stands for the monsters, then there are green energy cubes. They are of nice quality, but I hate cubes. And then there are eight larger engraved D6 dice. All of these components are of high quality. I have the original release. The artwork is slightly different than the newer edition, and there's a special dark edition that just came out as well. I love the kaiju artwork. Each of the monsters are well detailed. The action cards are really fun to look at too. The game has a nice family-friendly vibe to it. My family has played this game plenty. No matter how many new games we get, King of Tokyo always seems to find its way back to my table. Part of this is due to the fact that they are constantly releasing new monster packs and material for the game. Bang for the buck. King of Tokyo has a low MSRP of $39.99, but it is now in a lot of large big box stores and typically it is cheaper. I've had my copy for 5 years. It has held up nicely since it has seen a lot of table time. As I mentioned, I have yet to sleeve my cards, and they look a little worse for the wear. They're not handled as much as a typical card game, so they're holding up a bit better, but I still think I should sleeve them soon, or I will have them look like my deck from Catan that looks like my dogs have been chewing on them. As I mentioned before, and I'm sure I will mention again and again, I hate cubes. I hate them. I replace my energy cubes with lightning bolts. They're really accessible online from a few different stores. Maybe one of those stores will hear this podcast and want to become a sponsor and I'll start mentioning them by name. These lightning bolts are an inexpensive way to make your game stand out and give a little bit more of a wow factor to it. I also bought the box organizer. This has been a lifesaver. It has allowed me to put both expansions and all four monster packs into just the base game box. The new monster packs are nice because they're dual purpose, so you can play with them with Tokyo or the sister game, King of New York, which I'll cover later in a different episode. The lunchtime potential of this game, the box states 30 minute playtime. I can't argue with that. The game is short, sweet, but always fun. There's no reason not to play this with your coworkers. The last time we played, we got two games in because of the shorter playtime. Even with six players and all the expansions and additional material, the game still lasts less than an hour. Alright, now let's look at the expansions. In 2012, the Power Up expansion came out and introduced us to a new kaiju and evolution cards. The new kaiju monster is Panda Kai, a kung fu panda with a mean looking bamboo staff. The evolution cards add a new level of strategy to the game. The small box comes with evolution cards for Panda Kai and all the original monsters from the base game. Each monster gets 8 cards specific to their chosen character. These cards give each monster a unique ability. There are two types, permanent and temporary. Permanent cards remain in play. Temporary ones are ones you keep hidden and use strategically, but you can only use them once. To get these cards, you have to score 3 heart dice. You can also score the health 
that they give you, assuming you're not in Tokyo. But you can still use the three hearts to get an evolution card, even if you're in Tokyo. In short, these add very little time to the gameplay, but can add a tremendous amount of strategy and replayability. I do not advise using these out of the gate with newcomers, but once they have a firm grasp on the game, say three or four plays, they are a great add-on. Of course, Pandakai can and should be added to your pool of monsters. I want to mention real quick that there is a similar expansion for King of New York that adds cards to make those seven characters also playable in King of Tokyo. The Halloween expansion came out the following year in 2013 and adds two new monsters, Boogie Woogie and Pumpkin Jack, along with costume cards. The small expansion also comes with a black and orange set of dice. I'm not sure why they are included, but whatever. Boogie Woogie and Pumpkin Jack come with their own set of evolution cards, so they're good to go with the power-up expansion. Boogie Woogie and Pumpkin Jack are not required to be part of your game to use the costume cards, however. The costume cards are new cards with the same backs as the standard power-up action cards that offer some insane abilities. You shuffle them into your deck like any other power-up card, and they can be bought like any other power-up card. The difference is they can be stolen and taken away from you by other players when they attack you. They simply buy the card off you for its face value after dealing you damage. This is a neat idea, and in all my games playing with this expansion, I've only seen it done once, and it was not by me. It was done in a harsh manner, though, so I have to applaud them. The player attacked the person with the zombie costume, which allows you to stay alive with zero health. Then, they bought it from them, killing that monster... It really was harsh, but man, was it strategic, because it eliminated that monster because they no longer had the protection of the zombie costume. To be honest, I shuffled my costume cards in years ago, and I've never taken them out. I explain the rule when a costume comes up, and I let the group decide if we play with them or not. More often than not, we do. They have pretty much become part of my base game. All right, now we're going to look at the monster packs. Each of the following monster packs come with a new monster, their respective power-up cards for both King of Tokyo and King of New York, and some new mechanic. Each component is made of the same high-quality material as the base game, and as with all the other monsters, you can just add the monster into your selection pool and add whatever combination new mechanics and expansions you choose. For example, you do not need to have King Kong in the game to use the Tokyo Tower Edition, and vice versa, you can play with King Kong and not use Tokyo Tower. H.P. Lovecraft's Cthulhu is a classic mythical monster who first appeared in print in 1928, and he makes a great addition to the King of Tokyo monsters in 2017. It had been four years since anything new and official came from Yellow. We were playing King of Tokyo regularly, so I had to go out and get this newest release. On top of adding the iconic monster and his evolution cards, the release also came with madness tokens that he can dole out as part of one of his evolutions, and cultist tokens. The madness tokens hinder your opponent's ability to re-roll, but they can be healed with a scored heart. A cultist token, if one is available, can be taken for scoring four identical faces. This cultist can be used at any time for either one heart, one energy, or an extra re-roll. As a first monster pack release, Cthulhu is a fine addition. I do not find myself drawn to using him personally, but I have a few friends that love to use him in his madness tokens to wreak havoc in our games. Later in the same year of 2017, Yellow released King Kong. Now, he's not to be confused with the King from the original release, 
King Kong features a new winning condition, Climbing Tokyo Tower. This, of course, introduces Tokyo Tower to the game. In the King of New York game, it's the Empire State Building reminiscent of his first appearance in the legendary 1933 film. It's a three-stage tower that has to be claimed lowest level to top level only while you're in Tokyo. Each level can be claimed by scoring four ones while in Tokyo. If someone can claim the third level, they win. It also has a beauty card that is activated by one of King Kong's evolution cards. The introduction of Tokyo Tower is my favorite new mechanic from all the monster packs. Each level gives its owner a special ability at the start of their turn, no matter where the monster resides. So at the start of your turn, if you have one level, it adds one energy and one heart, which you can use if you're in Tokyo. However, these levels can be stolen from you if you aren't in Tokyo. And I love the new way to win the game. That being said, I have neither won nor seen anyone win with Tokyo Tower. Yet, it is still my favorite new addition. Oh, the Die of Fate. A giant, oversized, extremely loud when rolled, fierce D4 that can completely change your turn. This massive, pyramid-shaped golden die was introduced as part of the Anubis Monster Pack in 2018. By this time, I was pre-ordering these monster packs from my friendly neighborhood game shop. Anubis is the Egyptian god of death dating back to the first dynasty, circa 3100 BC. The deity brings chaos and death for sure with his arrival in the King of Tokyo world. The Die of Fate introduces the curse cards. These delightful cards are shuffled and make up their own deck. The top card is flipped up and its permanent effect is now in play. The active player rolls a Die of Fate with the rest of the dice. Depending on what hieroglyph is at the top, that effect of the curse card can also be in play. The four options that can occur are change the curse card, suffer a secondary curse, receive the blessing, which typically nullifies the curse for the active player, or no effect, but the permanent effect is still active. These curse cards can typically affect die rolls and whether they can be scored or what dice you can roll. Anything about whoever has the most of something now loses it. So if you have the most health, you lose a health. If you have the most points, you lose points. They're pretty bad. Despite all these additions, though, the game still plays quickly. You might not be able to complete it in under 30 minutes, but it does not extend the game beyond a lunch hour. I love this addition very much, and I use it a lot with players that know the base game. It is my second favorite new mechanic behind only Tokyo Tower. The latest addition is the first one not to be based on a quote-unquote real monster. Cybertooth is a Transformer-type monster that has a biped and beast mode. It comes with two different monster cards, one for each of the modes. The big mechanic addition with Cybertooth comes with the Berserk die. Again, more chaos! The Berserk die is a D6 that is slightly larger than the standard King of Tokyo dice, so it is obnoxiously loud when rolled, just like the Die of Fate. To activate this cacophonous chaos, you have to score four attacks in one round. You are now in Berserk mode. This is signified with a Berserk token that clips or attaches to your monster card. While you're in this mode, you can roll and re-roll the Berserk die, like any other die. The sides are a bit different, though. There are no numbers on it. Two sides feature one claw. One side features two claws. Then there is a one lightning bolt side, a two lightning bolt side, and an ouch from King of New York. If you roll the ouch, 
you lose one health yourself. Once you heal yourself, though, you are no longer in Berserk Mode. The other mechanical change here is Mutant Evolution Variant. This requires that you download and print an additional transformation card for the other players. This allows all players to shift between biped and beast modes. This occurs before the buying phase. You can spend an energy cube or lightning bolt if you, you know, hate cubes to switch between the modes. While in biped mode, nothing changes from the base game. However, while in beast mode, you can reroll one of your die one extra time, but you're not allowed to buy power cards. Now, I do not think that the biped beast mode is all that great, and I rarely use it for more than just Cybertooth. But the Berserk die is fantastic. I highly recommend adding this pandemonium to your game when you think your group is ready for it. In summary, King of Tokyo is such a beautifully simple game that anyone can get into it. The amount of player interaction is phenomenal in the base game, and it is amped up with each additional expansion and monster pack. Just last year, it's hard to believe it's been a year, but a year ago I held a gaming weekend with some friends and family and we played King of Tokyo with all the new monsters, all the new mechanics and everything and I think we finished the game in about 45 or 50 minutes. King of Tokyo is the game that got my son into gaming and I will always be thankful for that. Like I said, he was three. He beat me three games straight and I thought for sure the game was broken. Nope, just turns out my son has a knack for playing games. King of Tokyo also serves as the game that opened my eye to the hobby as a whole. Until this time, I had played a lot of Catan and Carcassonne, but that was about it. I had not looked too much into the hobby. Once my brother gave me King of Tokyo for Christmas that fateful year, it was all over for me. Since that time, I have bought over 80 games of various sizes, costs, mechanics, age levels, and even started designing and selling my own games. I have also found that King of Tokyo works as a great gateway game, it is simple enough that people that think they can't learn one of these newfangled games can learn it. It is basically Monster Yahtzee. The same mechanic, but a different outcome. I've introduced many people to gaming through King of Tokyo, including my parents and a few cousins. Now I'm the cousin that brings King of Tokyo to family gatherings. If you're looking for a way to start a group and want to indoctrinate more people, this is your game. That's all for King of Tokyo. It's two expansions and four monster packs. This is Adam, and until next time, keep building those bridges. When you're gaming, why not be comfy? Go over to supportplayer.org. Click on the cards, pieces, and dice to get some merch. These t-shirts are some of the most comfortable I have ever worn. That's supportplayer.org, and there's a link on eatlunchandboardgame.com.